This is Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm Amy Brown. As you probably know, people turned out in many Maine communities on Saturday to join in on the youth-led March for Our Lives movement to end gun violence. We're going to start today with a short collage of audio clips from some of those rallies. First, we'll hear Stillwater Youth chanting, recorded by Sonia Catherine Berthesel, followed by a few clips of the speakers at the Bangor rally, recorded by Tracy Hare, and then some person-in-the-street interviews in Bangor that were recorded by Gene Curran. And our thanks to all of them for sending us their recordings. Take your money, go away. Hey, hey, NRA, 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 take your money, go away. No more silence and gun violence. 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 My name is Mary Harlan. I'm a retired teacher from the Farmingdale, Maine public school system. I stand today with all of you in memory of the students in Park Manitoba and of all the people killed by poorly regulated guns in our society. I am alarmed at the suggestion by the current administration that teachers should be armed. It is absurd to think that armed teachers will lead to safer classrooms. I believe it will only lead to fearful students who will not be able to learn to their greatest capacity in such a climate. Also, I believe arming teachers would lead to an escalation of shootings, just as the proliferation and availability of guns in society in general has led to an increase in shooting incidents. But of utmost importance is what arming teachers would do to the emotional life of students who attend classes that in all essence have become a war zone. And why does this situation exist? I believe it is because the NRA, the Congress, the manufacturers of guns, the gun shop owners, and those who possess guns have created such a war zone and are unwilling to take responsibility for the deadly situation they have created. It is unacceptable that teachers are being considered to be a part of increasing the use of guns. I stand with the Arm Me With movement that says teachers should be armed with adequate supplies and staff. Teachers should be armed with resources to deal with mental health issues. should have smaller class sizes, which have been proven to result in a more healthy educational environment. I stand with the teacher who said, the day I am asked to take a gun into a, class, into a classroom is the day I quit my job. I don't want to carry a gun. I want control over guns. For myself, I want students to be able to learn to the best of their ability 
in a safe classroom environment. Thank you. Can you all hear me? Yeah. All right, all right. So I'm Tamor Khan. I'm with Penobscot Young Men's. So I don't know if you've heard a lot of noise lately. Have you? It's a lot of noise. It's too much. And I say it's enough. I have too many people calling me with so many issues. And our legislators, our government officials are not listening. I think it's time for them to listen. What do you think? As a right here from Bangor High School as well, I'm an alum. I want us to stand with the kids, stand with our children, stand with them in solidarity. Enough is enough. It's time that we stand together. I want you all to know that I believe in you and you are all the future right now. I represent the Penobscot Young Dems, and I always believe in the fact that the youth will always rise, and the youth will always win. Much love. My name is Robin. I'm a senior at Brewer High School, and I'm going to be talking a lot about the mentality of kids in schools, of teachers in schools, of parents. So real quick, can, uh, can kids put their hands up? Happiness 
instead of things like money? What if we tried to be kind to others instead of trying to make them feel worse? If we could change our mentality and we could take steps forwards in schools to go the extra mile and be a little extra kind and spread that love to everybody around us, then we would have less mental problems, less mental breakdowns, less tragedies, less suicide rates. hung out, we talked all the times, and he would make jokes, he was kind of rude, so was I, still am, doesn't change American, whatever, um, anyways, he would say things like, jokingly, he would say, oh, go kill yourself, or, oh, that kid's stupid, you know, this and that, and so, it took everybody, everybody by surprise when he killed himself, and we didn't know like what we could have done to help him. But I was talking about it yesterday with my friend, and he said if that kid had had somebody to actually ask him why he's saying that joke, and then go the extra mile, and sit down with him and have a conversation, then he would have realized that this kid was just shutting himself out, but the only way that he was crying out for help was by making a joke out of it. And if we could take that and learn from it, then we could prevent that in the future. We could prevent another kid from snapping like that. We don't need too many programs. We don't need to single kids out and claim that they're the ones with problems. We don't need to blame just the parents. We don't need to blame the teachers or the kids for lack of noticing. We just have to be kinder to each other. We just have to redefine what makes us happy, and we need to make the mental change to become more mental aware. And if we did that, then we would see a brighter future. Please, and why you're here? I'm Bethany Tompkins. Where are you from? I'm from Bangor. Okay, you, are you in high school? I'm not. No. <laughs> you look I, young enough. Well, thank you so much. Why are you here today? I'm here because this is so scary. Just first thoughts. First thoughts is because um, people's lives matter, and I think that's my main my main thing. Why I'm here is lives matter, and you know I, I don't think that I honestly I believe in the Second Amendment. I think people should be able to own guns, but not automatic weapons that are used for mass murder. I okay. Just, Good. Thank yeah. you. And what's your name, please? Uh, Megan Canavan. And where are you from? Bangor. Are you in high school? Oh. No, I am okay. not. <laughs> hey, honey, everybody's in high school under my age. So, why yeah. are you here? I'm just really tired. I'm tired of having the same fight. I'm tired of, you know, just yelling back and forth. And there's obviously a problem. This doesn't happen other places. And I think that it's really sad that Americans think that they can't come together and work on a reasonable solution to, I mean, you should be safe at school and in public, so we have to, we have to figure this out together. Good, thank you. Uh, identify yourself, please. Oh, oh, you're recording me? I am. Oh, okay, Susan Olson. You, and where are you from? Um, I'm from Moms Demand Action. And where are you, where, what, are, what town? Oh, Hamden. Okay, why are you here today? 
I'm here because I think that uh, common sense gun, lo gun legislation is possible. I don't think that it's anything too far-fetched or on the fringe. And uh, I have kids in the public school that I'm obviously concerned about. And How many? Uh, I've got two kids at, at, uh, in the Hamden School System. Okay. Yep. Now, you're one of the organizers of this march? Yes, I am. Um, how has it been for organizing? Uh, it's been amazing. We've uh, partnered with the Peace and Justice Center. We've had lots of uh, guidance from them, and uh, the police have been wonderful. Um, everything's gone well, very smoothly so far. Are you pleased with the turnout today? I think we could do better, but I think it's a pretty good turnout. You know, I think that I'm surprised that more people aren't coming out and uh, exercising their right to, to be heard. But, you know, I think the momentum's building, so. There are a lot of young people here today. There are today. a lot of young people here. It's nice to see the young people out. Yep. Okay, anything else you'd like to tell the legislature or Governor uh, LePage? This, well, I'll, I'll just say that this isn't the end, and we're, we are going to the uh, legislation day, April 2nd. We're going to go to the Hall of Flags, and we're going to lobby for uh, circuit gun control. You think you'll be listened to? I hope so. <laughs> okay, good. Thank you. Peace. Who are you, please? I'm Barbara Cardone. I represent House District 127 in the Maine State House. That's the west side of Bangor. Uh, and I'm very happy to be joining my constituents here in this march. I've had a lot of uh, emails and, and calls about gun safety, and we need, to, we need to keep this issue moving. Do you think the Maine legislature has done enough around gun control, gun safety? No, we haven't. And unfortunately, we're limited as to what we can do for the rest of this session. We had bills uh, that we put in to regulate some of the more dangerous weapons that are on the market blocked uh, by uh, the um, uh, Legislative Council because they were entered late this year. So I think the majority of what you're going to see for legislation on this issue is going to be in the next term for the first uh, the first term of the House 120, uh, the uh, legislature, the 129th legislature. What would you like to see happen in that session? I'd like to see a number of things. I would like to see us strengthen uh, funding for our mental health system. We do have some uh, law, uh, some going in, uh, a, a bill going in on the, what we call it the red flag law, but I think we need more funding on that. I also want to look at a ban on these large magazines. I'd like to see us look carefully at banning certain weapons, maybe the AR-15 assault rifle and the weapons of that type. I don't want to step on anybody's Second Amendment rights, and this is where we're going to have to be careful. I'm a defender of the Bill of Rights, all of the rights in the Bill of Rights, uh, and I, but uh, I don't believe that the Second Amendment guarantees anyone the right to own any gun. We've got to do a, a legal and a uh, public safety analysis of what's going on here with these weapons, and we've got to bring a bill that respects the rights of those who wish to own certain weapons, but protects not just our students, but all of our citizens in a much better way than what we've been doing. Are you pleased with today's turnout? I don't know what the exact count is. I, of course, I'd love to see more, but I'm glad we have this many.
Those were some of the sounds from some of Saturday's March for Our Lives rallies in the local area, recorded by Sonia Catherine Berthesell, Tracy Hare, and Jean Kern. You're listening to Maine Currents on WERU-FM. Switching gears now, large salmon aquaculture companies are planning to build facilities in both Belfast and Bucksport, raising hopes and concerns in both communities. Whole Oceans, the company that's planning to locate at the abandoned Bucksport Mill site, held a public meeting recently, and John Greenman was there to record the event for WERU. Today we have some clips from the company's presentation, followed by some of the question and answer session. I will start with some of what the Whole Ocean reps had to say. I'm Rob Piazio. Uh, I'm the CEO of Whole Oceans. Um, and the, what we'll present here is essentially who, what, where, when, and how. Okay, so we're going to try and cover as many sort of aspects of the project as we can. Um, just some background information about salmon, the salmon market, why we're doing this in the first place. Thank you. Um, some bullet point items here. 2017, the USA seafood trade deficit more than 13 billion dollars per year. That's second only to oil as a natural resource item in the U.S. trade deficit. It's a huge issue for the country um, and um, there's simply not enough domestic production and arguably a national security risk. It's that real. Specific to the salmon market, the U.S. consumes roughly 500 million kilos per year times 2.2 for pounds. You're over, what, a billion pounds. Big numbers, giant numbers. A fact that a lot of people are actually not aware of, virtually all of Atlantic salmon that is consumed in the USA is farmed. It's actually illegal to catch wild Atlantic salmon and eat it, catch it at all. Um, so it's all farmed, it's all coming from farm sources. Additionally, 90% of that farm fish consumed in the US is imported from foreign offshore cage farms. Um, 90% of that billion pounds Atlantic salmon is important. That's another big number. Roughly 400 million kilo potential for growth in the U.S. domestic salmon market. That's why we're focused on salmon. That's the fundamental opportunity that we're pursuing here economically. Obviously, if we grow it domestically, it's a fresher product. Lower carbon footprint, the food security issue I mentioned, traceability, you know where it comes from, straight down to the farm, you know exactly what it's eaten, so on and so forth, and lower costs. 25% of the cost, the wholesale landed cost of Atlantic salmon in the US is from freight. That's a big number. A quarter of the cost of wholesale price for salmon is freight. So you immediately have a pricing advantage if you can produce domestically. Grown in Maine, made in the USA. We're proud about that. A little bit more about who we are. Um, 
We're a Maine company. We're incorporated in the state. Our employees come from Maine. I grew up in Yarmouth. Uh, my brother's in the audience back there, worked for Bangor Savings. He lives in Falmouth. My parents live in Cumberland. We're from Maine. We're from Mainers. We are, we are Mainers. We understand the state and the culture, and it's important for us to be here. We're part of this community. We care, not just about our bottom line, and you'll see that as we operate. Um, we prefer that you judge us by what we do, not what we say, and we're confident over time you will see by our actions who we are and that we are genuine and that we want to be a part of this community for the long term. Seek to make our state and community proud? Absolutely. Now, what are we doing? We mentioned we've identified the salmon market in the U.S. as a big opportunity. I showed you some numbers. Um, we can give you a lot more information and detail on that if you like. However, Whole Oceans is dedicated to only sustainable aquaculture, using the most advanced aquaculture technologies available. Those technologies, as you'll see later in the presentation, are called recirculating aquaculture systems, or RAS for short. And this technology has been around for decades, as you'll see. However, um, it's become more economic as an alternative to other forms of production due to rapidly lowering costs in the technology and the operations. So that's why you're seeing all of these recurring stories and interest in land-based fish production. Um, it has a lower environmental footprint, you can source and grow locally, and it's now economically competitive with other methodologies. That's what's driving this acceleration of land-based aquaculture that you've seen recently. Um, RAS systems are generally um, supported, uh, I would say, um, if not the poster child for um, responsible, sustainable protein production. Uh, we are supported by the Conservation Fund, which we have here this evening. Um, in fact, uh, Tom Duffus sitting over there is with the main chapter of the Conservation Fund. Tom, thank you. Um, Steve Sommerfeld, whom you will hear from shortly, uh, works for the Freshwater Institute, uh, which is um, within uh, the Conservation Fund. The Atlantic Salmon Federation, uh, stewards for salmon preservation, conservation, and rehabilitation. Great friends of ours, uh, very supportive of the project. Gulf of Maine Research Institute, Don Perkins down in Portland, um, great friend of ours, incredibly supportive. What we do, I mentioned recirculating aquaculture systems. We'll get into a lot more detail about that, um, so I'll save that for um, our uh, engineers and technology experts. Um, I want to make sure people understand this point here. Um, the panel that you have in front of you today has taken six years to assemble. Um, we've been working on this project for a long time uh, and we've handpicked 
each of the people here for best in class. So whether it's on the design and engineering or construction or any sort of expert um, that we have on our panel, this panel and everyone here is best in class globally. And so what we're going to produce and what we're going to create in Bucksport is a leading edge facility. And what I mean by that is we will be one of the largest land-based salmon um, production facilities in the world and we will have the most advanced technology available. We are cutting no corners and this is a first class operation. We are going to grow the best Atlantic salmon available and we're going to make Bucksport proud. The next 100 year industry. Um, I read Pat, Pat Ranzoni's book, uh, Still Mill. Is Pat here? I've never met her in person, but I'd really like to. She's not. Um, so that book had a lot of meaning for me. Um, there's some really touching and heart-rendering stories in that book. Um, and it impressed upon me the importance of utilizing this resource, this land, this site, and utilizing it and executing well to create the next hundred year industry for this town. Families rely upon this industry for jobs, economic activity, well-being. This project is bigger than whole oceans, frankly. Um, this project is also about the community and is critically important and a huge responsibility for everyone on our team to understand that we have a responsibility beyond our company, we have a responsibility to the community. Um, we want to be here for the long term. We want to create the next 100-year industry that the town can be proud of, have jobs at, good, good paying jobs, and work with and integrate. That's a really important point for us. We're going to rename uh, the site to One Salmon Point, Bucksport, Maine. Um, there's some, some great uh, poetic symmetry to that, if you like. Um, actually, predating, and this is in fact in Still Mill, um, predating Bucksport itself, um, Native Americans referred to that section as Salmon Point. Um, and the reason is because the Penobscot River at one time was the most densely populated habitat for wild Atlantic salmon in the world. And Native Americans could go right down on the shore and basically pull them out of the river. It was so bountiful. So, obviously things have changed. Um, however, we see some wonderful symmetry in returning Salmon Point uh, to Salmon Point. Not every site is created equal. Um, we looked for five years for a site focusing on Maine. And I would say we looked at every site in Maine, up and down the coast. And Bucksport and this Salmon Point blew everything else away. That's the easiest way to say it and the most accurate way to say it. Um, there are some technical parameters for these sites that are important, water quality, temperature, salinity, so on and so forth. Um, but in addition to that, the existing infrastructure at the site, intake, discharge, natural gas, 
electricity. All of these things are very critically important to a successful site location. And Bucksport had all of them. Everything is in place already, uh, which greatly simplifies our work, our expense, and the timeline for permitting and everything else associated with new industrial activity. Bucksport is a town full of hardworking, proud, determined, resilient, get-it-done spirit. Uh, that's the sort of ethos we intend to emulate, that we aspire to, and that's just one of the reasons we think we're a great fit. We just want to make sure that we give you a first-hand account of where we're headed and what that timeline is. So what we're doing is growing eggs, uh, growing salmon from egg to harvest, the complete life cycle on land contained in our facilities. We'll be importing our eggs, for the time being at least, because we need a, a year-round supply of eggs. And locally, they're seasonal at the moment. So we are working with the USDA salmon research facilities in Franklin about developing our own local broodstock. Um, that will be a long-term initiative. Eventually, we want to convert to that. In the meantime, we'll be importing our eggs for that year-round supply to farm the fish. Site prep is to begin in the fall of this year. Um, that's our current timeline. Um, and so far, um, everything is going actually um, ahead of schedule, which is always nice. Uh, so we have every reason to believe that that will start. What we're doing right now, and you'll see some activity around the site increasing over the next several weeks, really pre-construction work. We're doing site analysis, site testing, soil borings, so on and so forth, which is accumulating data uh, to inform our final farm design. Once we have that process finished, we'll move into our site preparation again in the fall of 18. We expect that to last two or three months. <coughs> and the idea would be to get our foundations poured in 18, get our building envelope on so, uh, up so we can continue working uh, throughout the winter. Um, that's our rough construction timeline. Nick Pranger over there will give you a little more information on construction and how the farm operates. But in general, construction timeline to put fish in the tanks is 12 to 16 months. Nick assures me it's going to be on the low side of that, right Nick? Exactly, right. 11 months. So anyway, um, 12 to 16 months. Then we start our fish production um, and uh, the life cycle of Atlantic salmon in a land-based facility is roughly 22 to 24 months um, to harvest. You might have seen in the press um, that we pre-sold our inventory. So we have an off-take agreement for 100% of our fish. So we, we basically placed it already uh, with a distribution partner. Um, and that goes to basically reinforce the supply and demand dynamics for salmon. They're so compelling, they're so strong. Um, that was a major part of our business strategy, pre-placing fish. 
my name is Ben Willauer. Uh, I am the director of corporate development with Whole Oceans. I live down in Freeport. And I'm going to give you a, a brief overview as to why are we getting into this really unique and groundbreaking technology of water recirculating aquaculture system, or RAS. You'll hear us from here on out use the acronym RAS. Uh, but what I want to do is just give you some basic characteristics of uh, what this means and, and why it is so important within the future of uh, aquaculture and where it plays a role within aquaculture in the broader uh, community of Maine and the coast of Maine. So aquaculture is a proven and advanced technology. It has been used extensively, uh, land-based aquaculture has been used extensively uh, in uh, Nordic countries um, uh, throughout uh, Europe and Norway and Denmark and is also being developed in other parts of the United States. Uh, it is um, something that uh, we have been uh, really uh, amazed by uh, the engineering and how the price has come down and the technology has become uh, much more proven than even five or ten years ago. Additionally, um, one of the greatest qualities of these systems is the fact that 99 plus percent of the water within this system and has an enormous amount of water within it is recirculated. And that creates just huge efficiencies, uh, not only economically, but also ecologically uh, for uh, anyone worried about water resources or uh, our impact on any uh, discharge characteristics. We're utilizing the Penobscot River. One of the reasons that we are where we are is because of the fact that the Penobscot is uh, the home, the, the real spiritual center of the wild Atlantic salmon, and there's no accident for that. The salinity characteristics within the Penobscot are ideal uh, for uh, our work, and it is something that um, we're very proud to be doing this without impacting uh, the active restoration work that is going on uh, within the Penobscot River watershed as we've removed dams and are continually working to restore a variety of diatomous sea-run fish species uh, on, on the watershed. Uh, these are not GMO fish. I just would like to state that because we've had that question more than a few times from folks, so we just thought we would just put it out there. Um, RAS facilities have a low environmental footprint, uh, but that is... Uh, measured, that's a, a broad statement, it's measured in a few ways. Uh, one, you're able to um, uh, produce these fish domestically, so the carbon footprint of flying them halfway around the world, most Atlantic salmon right now is coming from Chile, from Norway, uh, Canada, but uh, the salmon travel great distances before they find our plate, and uh, by producing them domestically, we are really reducing that carbon footprint. We are using the whole fish. This is critically important, not only for uh, efficiencies, but also um, uh, just ethically. Uh, we are taking any aspect of uh, the meat that we are not using and turning them into real value-added products, uh, such as you know, organic uh, fertilizer and the like. There's a tremendous amount of innovation in this space, uh, but it is a... Um, what one person would call waste is extremely valuable for us, and uh, we plan to utilize uh, all of the fish. Uh, RAS systems are just ideal because of the fact with the sophisticated engineering, we can control uh, entirely very focused feed, water, and the biosecurity of our facility. So we're thrilled to be able to share with you some of the details of these facilities 
but it's uh, an area that the more you learn, the more you will be impressed and inspired uh, by this work. So next I'm going to uh, introduce Nick Pranger, who's going to walk you through some of the uh, specifics of the design of our facility. Good evening, everyone. I was thinking uh, when Rob said best in class, I looked around thought I was at the wrong meeting, to be honest with you. But I have six kids and a wonderful wife I'd like you to talk with, so they can understand best of class. So uh, I'm really glad to be here. Uh, Pranger, my dad started in 1964, and uh, three brothers, two brothers and myself are in business, and then we're housed in Indiana. And uh, we did get into aquaculture, as, as Rob said, uh, probably, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. Pranger, uh, we get referred to sometimes as a general contractor, but in all respect, what we really are is we specialize in bringing the technology of recirculating aquaculture and our past experience in the field of construction uh, really put us in a place, as Ben said, to help kind of coordinate that. It is always Pranger's strategy to resource as much locally as we can. So in all reality, we're going to be working with many companies like CES and construction and electrical and and plumbing contractors throughout the project. So we are, we're glad to be here and we look forward to being here. And, and Rob, thanks for issuing us as best in the class for your team. I appreciate that. Uh, RAS technology's been around for decades. I, I think someone mentioned that earlier. There's lots of smoke uh, facilities around the, the, around the world. Um, and so this is not, it may seem new. Uh, it certainly seems new to the, to the U.S. And, and the market that we're in. Uh, but around the world, the technologies have been developed for some time. Uh, there's many engineers, there's many, many companies, there's many vendors and supply chains and, and things of that nature that have been worked out over the years. So um, as Rob said, because of that, um, we're, seeing, we're seeing that cost come down per kilo. We're seeing competitiveness in the market. It's kind of a time and place where the, the markets come together. Uh, the consumers come together. The technologies come together. The needs come together. Um, for us, it seems like it's taking a long time. I mean, in all reality, we've been in this space for 10, 15 years, and we've been frontline watching that develop with a uh, great uh, collaboration of friend with Steve Sommerfeld and Bill and Aquaculture and others in, in the group. And as Rob said, we've been working on this particular project in Maine. When Rob says we went all over Maine looking for facilities, I'm not sure you were with us on that, on all those land travels. But yes, we did. We searched a lot of spots, and what a great spot we have here. You're listening to Maine Currents on WERU-FM. This is a presentation by Whole Oceans, the company that is planning to locate a salmon aquaculture facility at the abandoned mill site in Bucksport. Their whole presentation lasted well over an hour, and you can watch the entire thing on the Town of Bucksport's Facebook page. Several people asked the company representatives questions following their presentation, and many were off mic, so I'll be summarizing uh, where needed and also playing as many clips as we can. To start with, Ron Huber of Friends at Penobscot Bay had two questions. First, he uh, pointed out that the company has talked about 99% of the water they use being recirculated, and he asked what about the other 1%. He also asked about what the salmon would be fed. A company representative responded that it's very easy to raise salmon without fish meal. 
and then spoke of using trimming meal from fish processing plants. He said that the goal is to be as sustainable as possible and that the Norwegian salmon industry are now feeding about 75% grain. And he wrapped up by saying, quote, the sustainability issue is huge and there are a lot of ingredient choices, close quote. He didn't respond to the part of the question about the 1% of the water. The next question was about which properties the company has purchased in downtown Bucksport and whether they are already looking ahead at possibilities for expansion. Thank you for asking that. Um, so the, the property, the bulk of the property that we've acquired, I guess would be termed the, the mill site, which is west of 15. Um, so if you wanted to draw a sort of a rough boundary line, um, there's a switchyard, there's a CMP switchyard in the middle of the mill site property. And so if you draw a line perpendicular to 15 to the river, just north of that switchyard, that up uh, north is the, the primary parcel that we're acquiring. Okay. Across the street, however, there's a parking lot, uh, which is just north of the fitness center. So we've acquired that parcel as well. However, um, just north of the fitness center. So all of those structures, the credit union and everything else south um, of that sort of boundary line um, is being retained uh, by the owner. Do you have any interest in that property at this point? Um, at this point, we don't have um, use for the structures. So we wanted to make sure, ultimately, um, that they got the best possible use. So at this point, we don't contemplate acquiring those right now. All right, thank you. Okay. Thank you, Bill. Nice to see you. Over here. My name is Margaret Day Rivera. I'm from Orleans. And I guess I'm wearing the hat as a, of a consumer, and I'm concerned about the quality. But I'm also concerned about the fact that you have this sustainability and that sounds exciting to me. I am concerned about our, our carbon footprint. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's wonderful. Um, I'm thinking though about, as a consumer, I'm aware when I go to uh, buy chickens, eggs, there's a big concern there about how these animals are managed and the stress that they're under when they're packed in a small space, and that kind of stress has an effect on the quality of their food and their susceptibility to illness and so forth. So I'm sure, you know, salmon are also animals, and I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but there again, what kind of stress are they under in the tanks? Is there a density that is Paying it, you're paying attention to how much stress they would be under with how many fish are in one tank. Mm -hmm. I'd like to know more about that. Mm -hmm. But I'm also interested in the quality of the water that you take out of the Penobscot River. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm mindful of the fact that we've got a lot of um, uh, we've got a lot of mercury in that water. How adequate is the filtering to get that mercury out? Thank you. So we'll take them one at a time. Do you want to answer the fish stress, Rob, or do you want Steve to? Uh, no, I, I can, and Steve might jump in, but I'm just 
taking some notes um, so I can get to all of those points, important points. Thanks, Margaret. Um, so as far as um, fish stress and, and fish health, um, so um, as has been discussed, uh, these systems aren't new. Uh, they've been around, and there's, as a result, a tremendous amount of data uh, from which we can learn. Um, and so within that data, we can draw some conclusions about fish health, um, part of which is informed by fish stress and disease and everything else. So over the years, um, farmers operating these facilities have learned to optimize stocking densities such that the fish are healthy, they're happy, they're growing well, the quality is good, and ultimately you're getting superior grade fish. So um, thankfully, a lot of that knowledge is cumulative knowledge um, that we have now to optimize our stocking densities to limit that stress and improve fish health and fish quality. Uh, so that's a really important part of the equation to determining what is your stocking density. Uh, so that's a great, great point. Um, as far as the mercury is concerned, everyone in this room, I'm sure, is aware of that situation. Um, it's an important situation. It's something that we are fully aware of. Um, and as part of our firewall that has been discussed, um, there will be absolutely no chance, zero mercury, there's zero mercury is going to enter our system. Um, and I'll loop that back into um, sort of the alternatives, and, and you mentioned traceability and knowing where your fish is from, so on and so forth, in a moment. But five million kilos of fish, just to demonstrate, um, that's a lot of fish, um, and I have two children at home, and we're going to be eating a lot of it. So I'm that confident um, that there will be zero mercury in this system, and this will be the highest grade quality fish you can buy anywhere, um, and healthy. Um, so mercury will not be an issue for us. Um, there's very available, uh, and I would dare to say uh, basic uh, filtration strategies whereby we can eliminate and have redundant systems to make sure that no mercury gets in the system. Um, contrast that with wild caught salmon, okay? Well, the chance of you consuming mercury, ironically, and wild-caught fish, which we think is actually healthier and better for us, is far greater than land-based fish because you can prevent that mercury getting into the system through the water in the first place. However, you're also 100% controlling the feed, what they're eating. That feed is mercury-free. So there's no mercury in the system. When you're eating wild fish, you don't know what that fish is eating itself. And through the process of bioamplification is when you actually get concentrations of mercury that can be hazardous to your health. So in fact, farmed, especially land-based farmed fish, to be specific, is the most traceable product you can conceivably, possibly know. 
this is an exciting point uh, personally for me. Uh, we also met with Amazon um, and with regard to their acquisition of Whole Foods and some pretty cool stuff that they're doing. And eventually when you go into one of their stores, they have augmented reality where you can point your phone at a product and you'll get a video of where that product's from. So it, the products will tell a story. You can follow traceability right to the origin. And I think that's really cool. That's great news for Whole Oceans because as, as I said before, the more people know about what we're doing, our environmental footprint, tracing the product, knowing exactly what you're eating, the more people are going to demand what we're doing. You mentioned that your fish are not GMO at all. Is any of your food uh, GMO uh, food? It, well, um, we will target no. Uh, we haven't made that final determination yet. Um, interestingly, um, and I wanted to further Steve thought, Steve's thoughts on feed, um, and this segues into organic um, label. Uh, there's currently no organic label, U.S. organic label for seafood um, available. It's just that there's actually a petition um, in Washington currently to get an organic label. Um, part of that label will be derived from feed. Okay? And so what's under discussion um, is um, to use only fish meal and fish oil for the organic certification. Okay? So no terrestrial proteins, no grains, all that sort of stuff. Um, that may sound great. However, that might have an unexpected blowback in that that is going to cause um, the industry to search for fish sources. And basically, um, you're going to get a 100% fish in, fish out ratio. So ironically, you think you're buying organic, but you're also buying the least sustainable possible product for the environment because you're fishing on sardines and whatever to make the food to feed the organic fish. So that's, it's actually a really important point and a balance we need to find between organic, sustainable economics, consumer preferences, and it's this whole fish health, of course, is right up there at the top, uh, but it's this mix of variables that constantly change as well based on market dynamics. Um, so our goal will be to um, develop a sustainable non-GMO feed. That will be our goal. But I can't commit to that at this time. And so that answers that the answer is you try. Is that exactly. Yes. The whole ocean reps were asked again about the 1% discharge into the river and responded that environmental agencies have oversight over that process. The company was then asked how the salmon are killed, and they said that they are as humane as possible. There's actually um, a tremendous amount of research in Japan uh, about euthanizing fish because they believe, first as a matter of principle, but second a matter of uh, fish quality uh, for sushi. Um, it's, it's as gentle as possible. And a lot of those techniques and that experience have translated to the U.S. industry, which we will use.
It was noted that whole ocean reps had mentioned respecting the traditions of the Penobscot Nation. A audience member asked if they had reached out to the tribe, and the company responded that they had made contact but had not yet had a meeting, but it was a priority for them. Another audience member asked about the amount of power usage anticipated by whole oceans in Bucksport, and here's their response to that, followed by a question about jobs. Um, so I'll, I'll defer to our engineers to discuss the, the total power usage. However, um, we want to have as small a carbon footprint as possible, of course. Um, so obviously our systems are optimized to use as little power as possible to the extent we can. Um, we also have the potential to capture uh, some energy from gravity flow uh, from Silver Lake, uh, which we'll certainly try to do. Um, you may have seen on our, um, our illustration the farm had solar panels on top. Um, ultimately, um, that would be our goal. Um, as that fits into our financial plan and economics, we'd certainly like to move in that direction. So I think overall our philosophy is get our carbon footprint down to as minimal as possible. Hello, my name is uh, Tom McKechnie. I'm from Nonscott, the propane technician slash plumber. Uh, you mentioned the 50 jobs, and I heard a lot about biologists. Quick mention of electrician. Mm -hmm. um, I was wondering, out of that 50, those 50 employees, uh, for lack of a better word, how many of those are trades jobs, mm -hmm. like pump guys? I'm assuming you're going to need some. Guys Definitely. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so, th in fact, um, on that, if you want to call it trade jobs, um, of that, uh, plumbing will be our highest requirement. Um, obviously, as you said, a lot of pumps, a lot of pipes, um, a lot of maintenance. Um, so, uh, of that 50, I would say, roughly speaking, 15 are probably trade jobs and probably half to two-thirds of that would be more on the plumbing side. And uh, as this facility starts to open, will you be uh, offering training of any sort for your employees, or is it just kind of a... Absolutely. Definitely. Uh, it's essential. Uh, in order to perform the work, you have to be familiar with the systems. Um, so that's part of our workforce development, is to develop the future. We also have to develop our current uh, so there's definitely some training required in the technicals of this particular system. The whole ocean staff were asked about disposal of their used filters, some of which would presumably be contaminated with mercury and other substances from the river. I, I, I think there's, there's sort of, if I understand correctly, Jim, there's two questions there. There's one, what do you do with your solids, right, that are filtered? And two, what do you do with the filters that have sort of beyond their useful life. You said that there'll be zero mercury yeah. in the system. Yes. So if you're going to put water on that river, you're going to have to get that mercury out of that water and put it through your system. That's correct. Yes. It's been predetermined that you're not going to be pulling any mercury in. You're going to be filtering it out of that water before it goes into your fish. Yeah. You're going to have a, a toxic filter yep. when you get done. Yep, and, and in effect, we're helping filter the river. <laughs> That's right. However, that will be a hazardous substance, and we'll work with DEP to dispose of that properly.
And a father of two daughters said he perceives that aquaculture is a male-dominated industry, and he asked what's being done to address that, which drew applause from the audience. Thank you. Thank you. I have a 14-year-old daughter myself um, who is increasingly interested um, in aquaculture, and uh, I'm, I'm sad to say that the current state of the aquaculture industry is predominantly male, uh, but with education and workforce development, let's change that. These clips were recorded by John Greenman at the Whole Ocean uh, presentation in Bucksport. They are the company that is proposing to build a salmon aquaculture facility in Bucksport, Maine, on the site of the abandoned uh, mill site. As you are probably aware, there is also a proposal to build a salmon aquaculture facility in Belfast as well. You can watch the entire presentation about the Bucksport facility on the Town of Bucksport's Facebook page. And that's Main Currents for today. Thanks to Tracy Hare, Jean Curran, Sonia Catherine, Bertha Sal, and John Greenman for contributing audio for today's program. And this will be the last Tuesday edition of Main Currents, starting in April, which is actually just next week. Main Currents will be moving to the first Thursday of each month from 10 to 11 a.m., so be sure to join me then for independent local news, views, and culture only here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org.